You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island. Hello, I'm Will Gregerson, Community Services Librarian at Warwick Public Library. I've worked in Warwick for 10 years, and I like this city. During my time here, I've met some fascinating people, and I'd like to introduce you to some of them. Today, I'd like you to meet Jed Carboni. Hi, Jed. Hi, Will. Jed Carboni is a journalist who worked for the Providence Journal. He's a graduate of Brown University with a master's degree in public humanities. He's the author of two biographies on George Washington and Nathaniel Green, and he wrote a history of Rhode Island manufacturer Brown and Sharp. He's also spent time looking at Warwick's monuments, which is what we'll be talking about today. I have a few questions for Jed about his investigation, and then he'll go through some of the monuments he discovered that you may want to look for when you're out and about in Warwick. So Jed, as an author and a journalist, investigating and researching are things you do a lot of. What made you decide to research Warwick's monuments? Uh, Being stuck in traffic. um, You know, every day you get to uh, Airport Road and Warwick Avenue, and you're idling there, and you look over, and there's this profile of Abraham Lincoln looking back at you. And I thought, well, what's that doing there? So I parked my car and went out to look at that monument. And then once you notice a monument, you, you kind of begin noticing monuments. You know, there was a, uh, a philosopher, Robert Musil, who said in the 1930s, nothing in this world is more invisible than a monument. And, and he's right. They become kind of just part of the wallpaper uh, until you really begin to seek them out. And, uh, and then you find a, a fascinating study of uh, uh, evolution of ideas in your community when you begin to look at and study the monuments. And what is a monument? Well, a dictionary definition of it is any structure raised to monumentalize a, a person or event. Um, but that definition begins to grow. For example, I was when, when I was beginning to compile monuments, I made a decision I was not going to include buildings named for somebody. And I talked to Steve Lubar at Brown University, and he said, look, you, you kind of have to. I mean, if you look at, uh, at the library in Appenog, it's Bud Long Memorial Library, and memorial's right in the title. So how can you not call that a, a, you know, a monument, something built? To, I mean, it wasn't built specifically to monumentalize Bud Long, but it's now, you know, got mo- memorial, basically monument, printed right across its facade. So, um, you know, they, monuments begin to grow. Um, I think that we, most of us think of a monument as being a, you know, one of those chunks of stone with a plaque in it that was built or, or a sculpture. Um, but they really take on manifold forms as uh, people like to um, monetize, you know, pay for the monument by selling commemorative bricks. Well, every one of those bricks is monumentalizing something. So by some definitions, you know, every one of those bricks was laid down to honor somebody or something, and they become monuments surrounding the main event, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to uh, really 
you know, pin them down. I, I think we all look at one and think we know what it is and we see it, kind of like art and, you know. <laughs> yeah. So how many monuments do you think there are in Warwick? Well, there have got to be more than 100. Uh, uh, and, of, and that's talking basically freestanding, you know, branded obelisk types, sculpture types, and um, name on building types. They've got to be, it's got to be a hundred, at least. And I'm not, and I don't include anything in a cemetery because I think that's a different kind of monumentalization. What I was con- curious about was uh, public monumentalization of people and events. Yeah. And when someone's looking at a monument, um, what can they think about that will help them understand it? Well, every monument speaks of three time periods. And to get the full depth of a monument, you need to triangulate those three time periods. The the time period that the monument is ostensibly commemorating, right? Like the, the Nathaniel Green Monument in Porto Womit. It's commemorating Nathaniel Green in the 1700s, the American Revolution. But it's also commemorating the 1890s, which is when the Nathaniel Green chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution decided to put it up. And then, and why did they put it up? Well, you know, I mean, people had known that Green lived there for hundreds of years. Why, why did they need it now? And, and probably because in the 1890s, you begin to have a lot of immigrants working in the mills that are now West Warwick, but were then Warwick. And it was kind of a case of assimilation, you know, teaching. Um, and then you got to look at it from the time period that you live in now, you know, and you look at the monument and think, you know, Nathaniel Green, um, you know, free freedom fighter or slaveholder. Well, but both, you know, and so, you know, so so every um, monument, you know, tell to get the most depth out of it, it's best to look at uh, all the time periods it encompasses, you know. And also the materials it's made out of and um, the iconography on it, the types of uh, symbolism people choose to carve into it or slap onto it. There's, there's a lot to look at. So meaning changes over time. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Let's talk about some of Warwick's monuments. Um, what was the first monument you noticed here? I, I think the first one I noticed was that Abraham Lincoln monument right at, you know, because of its spot, I have to drive by Airport Road in um, Warwick Avenue a lot, or, or, you know, or West Shore Road is where it becomes, right where it's sitting at that Hoxie Four Corners, right? We're all stuck in Hoxie Four Corners. That's the one I think I first saw and got curious about. And that's the one on the corner by the Dunkin' Donuts? Correct. I parked at the Dunkin' Donuts and took my life in my hands and ran out there <laughs> to look at it. <laughs> it's a little one. I was there yesterday and looking for it. Um, is kind of a small stone, and then on it is just a small um, green, I assume, copper plaque. Correct. And, uh, you know, and it, and it, it's, it says on it that it was built by the uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, Woman's Auxiliary, uh, number 25, um, built in 1940, um, and then there are names of uh, like four soldiers on it who had recently died. None of them were from Warwick or even from Rhode Island units. And so uh, you, you just scratch your head. Why did the Women's Auxiliary decide in, in 1940 
to put up this stone. And, and uh, they don't say why. It, it leaves us to interpret why. I, I think when you build a monument, you probably should try to let people know why you're building it. I, my sense is, and I don't mean this cruelly, I think they were trying to monumentalize themselves. I don't think there's now a Abraham Lincoln's Women's Auxiliary Number 25 in Warwick that were passing on. And but they were but they weren't vain enough to say that that's what they were doing. So I think they built it to some to the last surviving veterans of the Civil War living in Warwick. But I'm just guessing. Yeah. And what's the oldest monument in Warwick? Well, now you get into what is a monument, right? Um, arguably, the oldest one is in Patuxent Village, except it, it goes back to 1784. So that's that's old, right? Uh, way older than anything else in town. But when John Brown erected that, it was a mile marker saying it's five miles from uh, Providence to, to here. And he wanted that because he was riding to uh, his farm at Spring Green. Um, now, it doesn't serve that purpose anymore. Nobody's really looking at that stone thinking, how far am I from Providence? You know, like you would if you were on a horse. Maybe somebody on a bicycle does. But uh, so now it's kind of really a monument to Spring Green Farm and John Brown, but that wasn't its initial purpose. The, the first structure built saying this is a monument was a monument to Nathaniel Green in Potomac outside of Green's house, uh, put out by the, I believe, by the DAR, Nathaniel Green chapter in the 1890s. Um, Prior to that, it was really difficult to raise monuments, right? They cost money. Um, the United States was not a very wealthy country coming out of the revolution, so you don't see a lot of revolution thing yeah, monuments. And then um, you really didn't even have the correct tools to build them until around the time of the Civil War where you begin to get pneumatic tools that can cut granite. So really by the late 1800s now, You've got the tools and the finances where somebody can say, hey, let's waste or no, let's spend some money uh, commemorating something that's important to us. And now it's got to be a group that has enough power in the political arena to get it put up, right? Um, and the DAR had, you know, enough political pull with their and enough finances and they got a monument raised in Nathaniel Green right on the um, river right by Green's house just before you cross the bridge from Potawomit um, in, into North Kingstown. What's the most um, popular kind of monument? Uh, well, I mean, the, the event most often commemorated, of course, is war. I bet you a majority of, uh, of our monuments are monuments to and about the event of war and the people who fought in them and in some cases the people who died in them. Do you have a favorite war monument? Well, yeah. Um, I, I really am touched by the, at Warwick uh, Vets Now Middle School, um, there's a stone in a circle by a flagpole outside the main door. Um, and it's a monument to... Um, Warwick Vets alums who died in Vietnam. And the iconography on it, the symbol on it, is a peace sign. 
And and I just, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the administration would think today if the kids, this was the class of 1970, if the class of 2022 and said, we'd like to commemorate our most recent war with a peace sign. But it really caught the, you know, that was a, a sinosaur of the times. And it, uh, I think it really captured the zeitgeist. So I'd like that monument. And new monuments. What are some of the newest ones in Warwick? Um, well, I, of course, um, the, the Station Fire Monument in Appenog, and the, because uh, you know, that's commemorating event, an event that happened not 20 years ago. Um, and also the September 11th monuments, <laughs> they're uh, plural, there are several of them. Uh, the one in Oakland Beach being the most dominant one. Uh, and what they both have in common is they're a lot more elaborate than just a, a stone with a plaque. Um, you know, they have uh, benches and uh, multiple panels. Um, so those are the, that's, I, it seems like monument creations might be moving more towards uh, installation. Although when I think of installation, I think of impermanence, whereas these are, are meant, obviously, to be viewed in perpetuity. But it's more than one object. More, more like what you might see in Washington, D.C. Well, right. And in fact, and there again, I, I mean, if you look at um, older monuments, even, even the, new, the, the newest um, Vietnam monument, not the famous one, uh, has a, a soldier carrying a soldier, one piece, right? Um, but then the World War II monument, most recently installed with a lot of Rhode Island influence in it, by the way, um, is one of those multi-installations multi of many stones. Um, so I, I just I, I hadn't thought about it until we were talking, but it seems like the evolution of monument building is moving away from the single monument into more of uh, more elements trying to tell a story. Yeah. Something you can walk through and experience. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite monument? My favorite monument in town, it's not to war, it's not to an event, it's to a person. And, and it's to a guy named uh, Gerald Devine, Jerry Devine. It's on Samuel Gorton Avenue, and it's kind of a, a 3D resinous plaque, and it's a profile of, of Jerry Devine's face, and it just announces that Jerry Devine, for 40 years, ran a store here uh, in, into the 1990s, I think. And um, he, you know, gave credit when times were tough and was a nice guy. And so I said, well, that's kind of nice, you know, to um, commemorate that, you know, guy had a nice mom and pop store here and was good to people. Uh, I, I like it. I, I thought when I talk to people, older people in my neighborhood about it, because it isn't near my neighborhood, that they would uh, wax poetic about Jerry and Jerry's store. And they go, oh, yeah, I think I kind of remember there used to be a store there. I was surprised, but I love the monument. A memorial to the common man. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Are there any monuments that show history repeating itself? Oh, yes. Um that the, the the Harry M. Miller Square Monument, it's on West Shore Road at the intersection of, of Oakland Beach Avenue. And it's uh, just one of those split granite boulders with a, 
chunk of metal on it and, and a small Navy anchor. And it, uh, the, the text on it is uh, Harry M. Miller Memorial Square. Uh, uh, gives his rank, and it says he died at the Newport Naval Hospital February 13th, 1918, erected by his mother, dedicated by the VFW Post in 1933, which is 15 years after Henry died. Now, why does Henry die in the Naval Hospital in 1918? Flu pan, it's got to be the flu pandemic, right? And that, so here's a generation that has just coming through a world war and they get hit by a pandemic. And then you look at us, right, and we're coming through this pandemic and living on the brink of a, you know, potential world or nuclear war. And you, and you, so you, you look and think about Harry Miller's mother and the poignancy of her 15 years after he dies of flu. And, and kind of the, the um, you know, the empathy of the VFW to agree to, to raise for her a... a a memorial to a son who didn't die storming a, a, a German position uh, in France. You know, he died of the flu um, coming out of the, the, the World War. And to me, that monument is somehow um, reassuring because here's a generation that's gone through flu and war and stood and still has the humanity and empathy to... Um, you know, to to grieve and, and commemorate and move forward. And um, lastly, um, of all the monuments in Warwick, uh, which one do you think is the most familiar? I think most people in Warwick would, whether they know it or not, because monuments do tend to be invisible, but would be most familiar with the uh, World War I statue of a doughboy standing outside of City Hall, because, you know, we all eventually have some business at City Hall or we drive through Appenog, and it's, it's large and it's classic. I mean, it really is a classic, classical monument of, a, you know, one piece, one guy, one large guy, a soldier with a bayoneted gun. Um, and, it, and so I, I think that's the one that everybody knows about, whether they know it or not. This has been great, Chad. Thank you for dropping by the the Warwick Radio Studios. Um, It's been really good to talk with you. Well, thank you, Will. It's been fun. A lot more we could talk about. A lot more monuments. Absolutely. And and other things you know about. I like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for tuning in. Before I end this episode, I want to let you know that if there's someone from Warwick you'd like to hear on Warwick Radio you can drop me a line at radio at warwicklibrary.org and I'll try to get them on. I'll see you next time. You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island.